Open your Bibles this evening to Psalms 118. Psalms 118, verse number 8 and 9. Everybody there? All right, Psalms 118, verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Most of you, I suspect, know that these are the middle verses of the Bible. I think that's interesting because it gets to the heart of man's problem and man's need. We live in a world of lies and deception uh, is everywhere. We can't trust man. That's obvious not only from what the Bible says, but the experiences that we have. There are those that will unintentionally mislead you, and there are those that will intentionally deceive you. Let me take just a little while longer this, this evening for the introduction and just throw out some examples that you might think about in regards to this. I'm talking about deception. Relationships are sometimes based on deception. That's especially true when couples are dating. Yeah, you, you know... Sometimes the, the big surprise comes, you know, after the wedding and you begin to see one another uh, as they really are. I can remember years ago when Bev and I went to different high schools and so uh, I, would, I would cut class so I could get over there to pick her up whenever she got out. And so, uh, you know, that gave me some time and I would always make sure my shoes were shined back then that was a big deal I mean to spit shine those shoes till uh, till they just sparkled and I'd sit there and do that and check out my hair my duck tail and make sure my hair was combed just right and flip my collar up open my shirt a little bit I mean you know I I <laughs> you had to look cool to make an impression uh well, then, you know, after we got married, she began to see the real me, and uh, all of that time, you know, it had been based on deception. Uh, but uh, at least on my part, I, I got the real deal, but she didn't. Uh, when it comes to sports, it's the same thing. Every play in football is designed to deceive. It's the same in business because businesses are often built on deception. That's why we've got to be so careful about ads because things are not always as they appear to be. The other day I, I was watching an ad on TV and they had this knife, this supposedly super sharp knife that you couldn't dull on a brick and you got the knife and I think a peeler and something else for nine ninety nine. And uh, lifetime guarantee, of course, they don't tell you they'll be out of business in six months. But And then they said, if you order now, we'll throw in another set. Now, if you know anything about knives and steel, you know that you're not going to get a good knife for 
uh, for $9.99. It just doesn't work that way. And so uh, we've got to be careful about those ads because they are, for the most part, designed to deceive people. Investors bank on deception. There are those, you know, that play the stock market. A lot of them play dirty, use insider trading and things like that. And uh, they don't mind deceiving you. The same thing is true when it comes to war. Sun Tzu said, and uh, I have his book, by the way, The Art of War. I don't really know why. I bought it years ago, and I've read it. And it, it's, it's interesting. And Sun Tzu said, all warfare is based on deception. And uh, that's a known fact. I mean, if you're going to go to war, you better make sure you've got the advantage of the, you know, of the other army. And so uh, it's true in every area of life. It's true when it comes to the Internet. I'm so amazed that so many people put so much stock in the Internet, you know, that, uh, you know, we'll make a statement and somebody will say, well, how do you know that's really true? Oh, I saw it on the Internet or it was on Facebook. I, it's got to be true. Yeah, uh-huh. And even some of those some of those sites that claim to check the facts, uh, that that's not always accurate either. And then of course we could mention the press and well need I say any more about that? Um you talk about deception. I I don't have to even comment on that and mark it down. The media has an agenda. They're not just reporting to you the news that is what really happened. They're setting you up trying to mislead you. Uh, when it comes to the government, there's a lot of deception. And my guess is that it's probably ten times greater than what we really think about. Uh, and to think about our government, those, you know, that supposedly are looking out for our best interest, and to think about them actually deceiving us. It's true sometimes uh, with educators, you know. There are some that will not only ignore history, but there are some that, that are lying about it and twisting it to make it say what they wish it said. In some cases like that, the kids don't stand a chance because they have no idea as to what really happen. Worse yet is the fact that deception happens among religious leaders because Satan is the consummate con artist. He is the father of lies, the Bible says, and there are sometimes those that have charming personalities that are very talented that are able to sway the opinion of people, and so uh, you have to be especially careful when it comes to the matter of religion. So in all of these, we see that we can't trust man, but there's one more on the list that I want to mention of those that you cannot trust, and that's self, because man includes you. Leonardo da Vinci made a statement. He said, I can't remember ever quoting from da Vinci, but this is a statement that he made that made a lot of sense. He said, the greatest deception men suffer is from their own opinions. You know, have you ever, maybe you've said this, or you've heard somebody say, well, you can't trust anyone but yourself. Newsflash, you can't trust yourself. Because you cannot even know or trust your own heart. That's what the Bible says. We don't know our heart like we think we do. We're not near as smart as we think we are. Every day is fool's day. 
Jeremiah 10, 23 says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Let that sink in, because that includes all of us. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. That's a polite way of saying you don't have enough sense to know how you ought to live. That's true of every single person. Without the aid that God provides, we cannot trust ourselves. So it's no wonder that our text gives us this command, and also this command is counsel, and there's a contrast here. Because we live in dangerous days. And remember, Paul spoke about those that are, are deceived, that are deceived and deceiving others. And the Bible repeatedly warns us, be not deceived. And whenever it comes down to those that, you know, disappoint us, uh, it's discouraging to think that somebody that you trusted uh, actually misled you. Somebody that you put your faith in, and intentionally they misled you. Even well-meaning people sometimes, a lot of times it might be a, a friend, it might be a relative, it might be someone that, you know, we feel safe with them. We, we can't imagine them doing us any harm, and it might be that they wouldn't intentionally, but unintentionally they misguide us. And it's so sad to see people make important decisions based on false information because God alone is the only one that is totally trustworthy. This morning I mentioned in the message from Psalms 115 that the word trust is used repeatedly in the remainder of that chapter there and for good reason because that is the solution to man's problems. And whenever we put our faith in the Lord, it's never misplaced, you see. And if we're going to please God, that's what we have to do. Hebrews eleven six says, For without faith it's impossible to please God, you see. That ought to be more than a motto with us. You know, we say, well, in God we trust. That's a great motto, but it ought to be more than that. It ought to describe the manner of our life, that we live each and every day of our life trusting in the Lord. And if we're going to obey God, if we're going to honor God, if we're going to please God, we have to trust God because when we do, our trust in the Lord, number one, is our assent to His will. It's an act of obedience. It's our acceptance of what it is that God allows. It's our approval of God's authority. It is our awareness of God's wisdom. It's our agreement with God's plan, and it is the antidote for a troubled heart. That's why Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. Amen? Neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. And the Lord's saying that we can trust Him, and we, uh, we still can trust Him even today. Think about those disciples when the Lord made the announcement, I'm going to Jerusalem, and there He laid it, laid it all out for them. He was going to Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be falsely accused. He was going to be crucified. And uh, he goes on to say that he'd be raised again the third day, but they quit listening after that part, you know, about the uh, about the crucifixion. And Peter literally took hold of him and said, "No, Lord, we're not going to let that happen to you." Right? Now think about it. The Bible says those men had left all to follow him, and that was the truth. 
They had left their business, their family, their friends, and everything for the sake of following him. And now, all of a sudden, this bombshell is dropped on him. Oh, by the way, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. They stop listening to everything else because at that point they are overwhelmed because it's like, what are we, what are we going to do? You know, we followed you now for three and a half years and what, what are we supposed to do now? Who are we going to depend upon now? So this evening, in the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about trusting God. And I want to say four things about it. Number one, you can trust God confidently. In other words, it's a no-doubter, a no-brainer. And there's numerous different psalms and numerous different verses of Scripture that assures us that we can put our confidence in God and never be disappointed as a result of it. Psalms 37, verse number 35. Psalms 37, verse number 35. It's not the verse that I'm looking for, by the way. So, we'll just skip that. We can thumb through here and look on and on and on. But we are assured that God's not going to fail. He's not going to fail for several reasons. Number one, God's promises are sure. Now, if He can't lie, His promises have to be sure, right? And they are. You know, a lot of times we hear somebody make a promise, and uh, again, they might be well-intended. They wouldn't intentionally mislead us for anything in the world, and they'll make a promise, but they make a promise they can't keep. But God's promises are sure. And by the way, when we think about those, I love the way that Peter described them of those exceeding great and precious promises. I mean, there is a promise for absolutely every need in our life. Some of those promises seem to be too good to be true. Think about what Paul said in Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. That just sounds too good to be true, especially if you've just buried a loved one, especially if you've just received the diagnosis that you have heart disease or cancer or something else. It just seems too good to be true if your wife or your husband has just left you. And now here you are as a single parent to raise the children and All things work together for good. It just seems too good to be true, but it is true regardless. God's promises are sure. God's power is sufficient. I said this morning, have you ever thanked God just for the fact that He is able? Not ask God for anything, you know, and not thank Him for the money that's in your pocket, not thank Him for your good health, but just... Thank God that you are able and to know that the one that makes those promises that are sure has the power to provide and and, and it's sufficient. Not only that, but we can have confidence in God's promises because God's purpose is shown. Um, By that I mean it is revealed to us. For example, God explains why we're here. He explains our purpose in this life. We don't have to... You know, wonder, why Why am I here? What am I doing? What am I supposed to be doing? God tells us, I have created man for 
his glory. That, that's why all of us exist. If we're not glorifying God, there's no reason for us to be here on this earth. And we glorify God by cheerful, loving obedience to God's Word. So that's why you're here. Whether you're pumping gas at a service station, whether you're stocking the shelves in a supermarket, whether you're the pastor of a church or a missionary on the field, makes no difference what your vocation might be. The fact of the matter is we all exist for exactly the same purpose, to glorify God in what we do. I'm so glad that God has shown that to us instead of saying, well, you know, just flip a coin and, uh, uh, or, you know, take a, take a class on trying to discover what career you're best suited for. God says, you know, I've created you for my glory. And he shares the plan. That is, not only shows us the purpose, but he shares the plan so we'll know how to go about that. You know, there's no mystery to it because God takes all of the mystery out of it. You know, it talks about unto him be glory in the church. That's why every Christian whose purpose is to glorify God ought to be in the church, which has the purpose of glorifying God, you see. And through all of this, God's people are strengthened because faith empowers us. If you don't believe that, read Hebrews chapter 11. That's what that is all about. These men and these women who face great obstacles and great enemies and great difficulties and how they were able to stand up under the pressure and to be victorious and to keep going when they felt like quitting. It was all because of their faith in God. It empowers us. It encourages us just to know that we've placed our faith in the one who is faithful and true, the one who is wise, the one who is loving, the one who is holy, the one who never acts out of character. And because of that, we can face any circumstance with confidence. All of us sometimes act out of character, don't we? Don't we? Every single person. And it's so easy sometimes for us to watch a brother or sister fall by the wayside, you know. And we look at that little snippet of their life. Maybe something that, whatever it is that they did, it occupies a day or even a week of their life. And we look at that and we think how awful, how terrible. I've really been deceived. They are a terrible person. No, they might be a wonderful person person who caved in under pressure uh, i never forget years ago we had a fellow that come one of the members of the church come storming in the office and he wasn't angry with me but he was sure angry and uh, he said i've got to talk to you he said i just want to tell you to take my name off the church roll <laughs> by the way i don't have the authority to take anybody's name off the church roll so don't ask me to do that but he just wanted his name removed. And I said, why? He said, because I'm getting ready to go over to so-and-so's house. And he said, when I get through with them, you know, uh, I won't be able to be a member of this church. I'm going to just beat the snot out of them. Not exactly what he said, but that's what it amounted to. And uh, I'd never heard him say that before. It was out of character. He was angry. And whenever he explained what it was, I could understand how how somebody might, you know, momentarily get that angry because as it happened, it was a situation that involved uh, uh, his wife. 
and, and I got news for you, boy, you don't want to, and I'm not talking about a sexual impropriety, by the way, in case you're wondering, but whenever you offend a man's wife, you just, you're, look, you're skating on thin ice when you do that. So people act out of character, but the wonderful thing about God is you can have confidence in Him, in him because He never acts out of character. He is God and He acts like God 24 hours a day, every day of the year. So you can trust God confidently. You can trust God completely, completely. I mean, without any reservation. You know, you can trust some people with a little, but not with much. There's some people you could trust with a dollar, if you gave them a dollar bill and said, here, and I'm going to trust you to keep this for me, you know, you, you could trust them with that. But boy, I tell you, you try, try trusting some people, let's say, with a thousand or ten thousand. There's a lot of people, you know, you can trust with a little bit, but when it comes to a lot, you can't trust them any longer because a lot of people, you know, there you cross that line and they have a price to where they're willing to compromise their beliefs and their principles to get what they want. But you can trust God with everything, with everything. Amen? doesn't make any difference what it is. You can trust God whether it has to do with your finances, whether it has to do with your, with your job, with your health or your family or anything else. You can trust God to take care of you. God never lies. God never errs. God never fails. And He's worthy of our total trust. That's an important fact, that God is worthy of our trust because He's never, ever failed anyone. You can trust God constantly, by the way. There's never a time when you can't trust God, never a moment that you can't rely upon Him uh, that's why I continue to mention the fact that there in Revelation that he is called faithful and true. Th those are names attached to our blessed Lord, faithful and true. So whether it's day, whether it's night, whether it's good times, whether it's bad times, there's never a time when you can't trust God. By the way, we're all going to be put to the test sooner or later. You know, remember Peter said, think it not strange those fiery trials that shall try you. We all have those. Everybody faces those moments in life where we are put to the test. There will be temptations that we face that on our own that we cannot overcome. We've been talking a lot about love lately and our responsibility to love others, even our neighbors, even our enemies. Think about how difficult that is. That's not just difficult. That is humanly impossible for us to love some neighbors, and yet God commands us to do so. Amen? He commands us to do so. And if God commands us to do it, we can do it provided we depend upon Him to enable us, and He never fails to do that. So constantly, whatever situation you find yourself in, you know that you can rely upon God. I, I, I think about all of those great saints mentioned there in Hebrews 11 and the situation that they were in. Just pick any one of them and the trials that they faced. I think about Abraham and God telling Abraham, go up on the Mount Moriah, go up there, and I want you to offer your son, your only son, as a sacrifice unto me. So here they go, marching up the hill, and Isaac looks at his daddy and says, you know, well, here's daddy, here's the wood and the fire and everything, but where is the sacrifice? 
where's the sacrifice? And uh, Abraham said, son, God will provide the sacrifice. God will take care of that. Abraham knew that that boy was going to be the sacrifice. Now, we look at that story and we think, you know, surely, surely God would be acting out of character had God demanded, actually demanded the death of that boy. God did command the death of that boy. As far as Abraham knew, that's all he knew. That's exactly what God required. That's exactly what Abraham was willing to do. Think about the pressure that must have been on him. And so here they are, Isaac on the altar, and he raises that knife and is about to plunge it into the breast of his dear son. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there was that ram caught in, in the bushes there. God provided a substitute. And that's exactly what he did in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about Moses. And I think about all the difficulties that Moses went through and the fact that the people murmured against him. Nobody appreciated the things that he had done. I mean, even, even listen, whenever, whenever they had turned against him and they're complaining, saying, we, we would have been better off if you just left us, you know, in Egypt. By the way, we miss the, you know, the, uh, the melons and the leek and the garlic and things like that. We'd much rather be back there. And finally, you know, they they want something to eat. God gives them manna from heaven. They're not satisfied with that. God gives them quail. Next thing you know, they're crying about water, and he gives them water out of the rock. But then we find under the pressure of the moment, he smoked the rock twice. And as a result of that, he's not able to enter into the promised land himself. And I've often said that would have been, you know, 99.9% of the pastors would have said, well, uh, this is a good time for me to resign. If I'm not going to be able to go into the land, they're complaining about me. I'm just going, it's time to retire. I'm just going to step aside. I'm going to leave it with them. And what did he do? He stayed by the stuff and kept going on. Why? Because he knew that he could trust God regardless of what the circumstances were. And you can too. You can trust God confidently and completely and constantly. And one more thing, you can trust God cheerfully. I don't think we put enough emphasis upon the importance of joy in our life, even though it's one of the graces that make up the fruit of the Spirit. We'd all think it would be a strange thing if so-and-so lacked love. If there was no evidence of love in their life, we'd say, what an awful thing that is. That's a terrible indictment against them. They claim to be a Christian, and, and they, don't, they don't love anyone. But yet, you know, whenever it comes to the matter of joy... It's kind of like we give everybody, including ourselves, a pass on that. No big deal, you know. I've just got to, and that's just the way I'm made up. Well, look, you don't have to turn somersaults and dance down the aisle and climb over the pews and stuff like that to be a joyful Christian. But I'm telling you, a person that has a jo- the joy of the Lord in their heart, it's going to affect their disposition in some way, and it's going to be obvious that they are a joyful Christian, it's important because, as the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. We all think, well, what does it take to be a strong Christian? Well, somebody says, you know, you got to attend church. 
Somebody else said, well, you really got to study your Bible because that's where we get our food. That's where we get our nourishment. All of that's true. Somebody else says, we got to pray. If we want to be a strong Christian, we got to pray. Somebody says, you got to exercise yourself unto godliness and do this and do that and do the other. But look, folks, if we're, if we're going to be strong, then we're going to have to have joy. That's why when you think about the Apostle Paul and all of the things that he faced, and even when he spoke, about the persecution that he suffered and all of the difficulties, he said he counted it all joy. It was all joy to him. He rejoiced even in his tribulations, not because of them or about them, but he had reason to rejoice. And we can rejoice because trust gives us hope. It gives us hope. That's something, you know, that we can rejoice about. We think about people trying to live without water and live without food. Well, boy, I'll tell you what you need as much as water and food and sometimes more is hope. You need hope. And that hope is nothing more than faith in the future. You know, whenever you read Romans chapter number 6, and he, he mentions several different things there, but there's a, uh, there's a series there of three different things that are so important in our life. When we think about the past, he uses the word reckon. Reckon yourselves dead unto, unto sin. And that word reckon there, you know, is a word that, you know, we, back in Missouri, you say, well, I reckon this and I reckon that. And it, it's, a, it's a good word. It's not just slang or something. It speaks about that we count upon that is and that it is our faith in what has already happened. And then, you know, it talks about the matter of faith. That has to do with our present confidence in God. But when it comes to the future, it's the word hope. That is faith in the future, you see. And I'm so glad that regardless of what our circumstances are now, you know, like the song that Kathy was singing a while ago, you know, one day I will. We have that blessed hope that one of these days Jesus is going to come. Having that hope, having that confidence, having that assurance, and knowing that, uh, that we can count upon God regardless of what's going on in our life gives us the strength that we need to keep going. Worry drains us of energy. I mean, it just saps us. You know, you can be a giant of a man. You can be 6'5", have 24-inch biceps and a 50-inch chest and be, you know, able to bench press 500 pounds and all of that. Boy, I'll tell you, worry can bring you down to your knees. It really can. It can weaken you. It might be that you're a multimillionaire. You've got more money than you know what to do with. And you would think with all of that money and able to do all of the things that you enjoy, you'd think you would be happy. And yet, because of worry, it can strip you of all of that happiness, you see. Faith does just the opposite of that. It infuses you with strength, uh, strength and it gives, you, it gives you the joy that you need to get through whatever the trial is. So, again... He's telling us here, put not your trust in man. Don't have any confidence in man, but rather, he says, trust in the Lord. That's better. That's better than trying to put your confidence in others. We can trust God above all 
We can trust God before all. We can trust God for all. That is for everything in our life. Over in Proverbs twenty-five nineteen, it says, Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. For many, many years, I had really bad teeth. I know what it is to have a broken tooth and an exposed nerve and how I can remember as a kid crying myself to sleep at night and uh, he said, why didn't your mom take you to the dentist? Well, she did she, one time, and he kicked us out. He said, you got to get this kid out of here. I can't control him. I'll never forget. The doctor was Dr. Cobb, uh, the, was the dentist. Yeah, and, and he literally kicked us out because I throwed a squalling fit there in the chair, so I never went back to a dentist. And, boy, I suffered the consequences of that. It is a miserable thing to have a broken tooth and an exposed nerve or a foot that is out of joint. And, and all of that is an illustration of how so many times in life we are exposed to painful experiences and great difficulties. A man with, a, with his foot out of joint, he can't run, he can't walk, he is limited in what he can do. And, uh, you know, that's the way it is whenever we trust in somebody that is unfaithful. But God does exactly the opposite when we trust Him. He enables us to do what ordinarily we couldn't do. And He, uh, in spite of the pain, in spite of the difficulties and what have you, God gives us joy unspeakable and full of glory. Over and over again over the years, I don't even know, probably it's in the thousands of times in signing someone's Bible, that used to be a, that used to be a, you know, the thing. You'd preach a revival meeting or something and people want you to sign their Bible and, and, and I've put these verses in the Bible and in cards that I've sent to this day. Uh, you know, people, if I send a card or something, I generally have Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all of thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Isn't that a wonderful promise? But notice here, he tells us, lean not unto thine own understanding. And I don't say this to belittle you in any way at all, but you're not smart enough to depend on your own understanding. None of us are. We need God's help. And right here with this blessed old book I hold in my hand, we have the road map for life. We have the compass to keep us going in the right direction. We have everything we need to do what we should right here in the pages of this Bible. You know, people think, well, boy, I, I just, you know, they, they want some sign from heaven. They want to see an angel fluttering down from heaven on snowy white wings, or they want to hear a booming voice. Well, if you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. Read the Bible, because God speaks to us through the pages of this Word. Don't lean to your own understanding, but rather depend upon the Lord. Trust Him. Put your faith in His Word, because He can't lie. As I said a while ago, all of us face those fiery trials, those difficulties. I was talking about this morning. We wonder why. We, we can't figure it out. I mean, good people having bad problems, and it makes no sense to us whatsoever. So 
What, what do you do? Well, it's like I believe it was Spurgeon who said, many have repeated, whenever you can't, whenever you can't trace God's hand, trust his heart. You can't trace his hand. You can't see exactly what he's doing. But you can always trust God's heart because you know he doesn't make any mistakes. He always has our best interest at heart. And boy, if we, you know, if we could just see things through God's eyes, we absolutely would never find anything to complain about whatsoever because even the worst things that we can imagine that happen to us, God uses those for some good in our life. Now, the good might not come directly to you. The good might not come in the time frame that you expect. But some good will come from it. Sometimes it's more important that the good comes, you know, to your spouse or to your children or your neighbor, you see. And none of us are so important that we think that the good should always be something good toward us. But we're, listen, I'm through. We're always best to ourselves when we're good to others. And so if through our difficulty... God takes that bad thing and makes a good thing out of it. And it's something that is good, profitable, that is, for somebody else. That makes it good for you also. Amen? Because none of our sorrow is ever wasted. God is a plan, and eventually in the time to come, God's going to reveal exactly what he's been doing. And as I said this morning, God gives us the answer the answer for all of his actions is the fact that he does whatever pleases him. If it pleases him, it ought to please us. Stand with me, please. Our Father, how we thank you that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are trustworthy, that you've proven yourself time and time again down through the endless ages and you've never one time ever failed Lord, we haven't always understood your ways, but Lord, we trust you knowing that you never make any mistake, knowing that we never have a problem that is too, too big for you to solve. We never have a question that is too complex for you to answer. And so, Lord, tonight we put our trust in you, not only trusting you for our salvation, but trusting you to guide us through the maze of this life, through the difficulties. Whenever we're down in the dark valley and we can't, don't know which way to turn or when we're up on, the, up on the mountain and the storm is raging and we don't know what to do, Lord, we're so thankful that we can always trust you knowing that you'll be there for us in our time of need. And I pray tonight that if someone's here with a broken heart, someone's here with a need in their life, that, Lord, that tonight that they might find comfort simply in trusting you and the exceeding great and precious promises that you've made. For we ask it in Jesus' dear name. Amen. While we